Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Go to your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 9. In case you're new to our church, or, or maybe you've never heard us say this because we can never say it enough, we exist for one reason as a church, and that's to inspire people to live in love like Jesus. Because that's why the church exists. We're not here to give you a place to just hang out. We're not a social club. We are, we are the church of Jesus, and it exists to inspire people to live and love like him. But if we're going to live and love like Jesus, we have the responsibility to understand fully how he lived and loved. Amen. Like if that's the goal, if Jesus is our target, then, then we have to frequently have the courage to wade into God's word to see how he lived and loved. Because how can we live and love like Jesus if we don't know how he lived and loved? And we're at a place in our world too where people are creating a Jesus that is culturally comfortable and not biblically accurate. And that's a dangerous paradigm. And so I hope you know that, that the only way for you to know how to live and love like Jesus is through the scriptures that he has given us where we got to see how he lived and loved. And you need to frequently open up your Bible and move into those things that we know as the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where God said this is what he said and this is what he did and this is how you're supposed to live out your life. And as we've been preparing to go on this mission trip, and there's a group of us, me and several others, are headed out on Wednesday, I've been just seeking God to prepare my heart and my spirit for this trip. And what I thought was just to prepare me and maybe even that I would share with our team as we got closer and closer to, to this time, I thought, I need to share it with you. Because even though you might not go on a trip, you have to understand that you still have a responsibility to go on mission for him. You'll be saying amen louder by the time we finish this sermon. <laughs> go, so go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And I'm probably not reading any verses that you haven't read a thousand times if you've grown up in the church. If you haven't, this might be new to you. But I've been reading through the gospel of Matthew, just looking at Jesus' life, watching how he interacted with people in hopes that, like, that's how we're supposed to do it. And I never see Jesus do some of the things that we've done in the name of evangelism over the years. You ever notice that? There's this moment in Matthew chapter 9, and it's in verse 35 through verse 38. It says this, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. That there is a moment when what Jesus has seen and what he's experienced and the people that he has engaged and the folks that he has encountered has been so 
abundant, so plentiful. The need has been so great in Jesus' sight and in his culture in this moment. He's overwhelmed with the amount of need, so much so he looks to the disciples and says, there's plenty of work. The problem is there are not enough workers. He says, so pray to the Lord that he would send out workers into the harvest field. But I need you to understand the context of this more than just in its isolated section here. That what Jesus had just experienced, as as Matthew records it over these pages, beginning in Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9 and even into chapter 10, is, is what led Jesus to this moment where he looks at the disciples in this deep sense of urgency and burden and says, there is so much need in this world in which we live that we need more people to go in and work it. Matthew's gospel is different than a lot of the others. He opens up with this genealogy of Jesus, and then he gives us the Christmas narrative, and then he talks about Jesus' temptation. He walks through all this stuff. And then Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, he records Jesus' sermon, this moment when Jesus goes up onto the mountain and preaches for a while. And I hear people say all the time, well, Jesus didn't have much to say about political and social issues. And I say to that, you ain't read the Bible. Because Jesus said a lot about a lot. And if you ever want to go read Matthew 5 through 7, read the Sermon on the Mount, because at some point Jesus is going to punch you in the face. Because he touches it all, man, like every subject. And it, it is if he preached it last week, because he touches on all the cultural issues of his day that seem to still be very relevant and prevalent in ours. So you need to dive in. But when Jesus comes down from the mountain after preaching this sermon, something that he has said has created such a curiosity from people that they just start approaching him. Not asking him to say more, but asking him to do something. And what you notice is no matter what the need and no matter what the background and no no matter what the culture and no matter how they were treated, but Jesus never looked at anyone as an outcast. Jesus never let anybody's physical ailment, emotional position, or even spiritual belief keep him from engaging with him. It's something we need to learn, church. He welcomed them all right out of the gate. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 8. There's a man that approaches him with leprosy. Y'all got to understand, leprosy was a nasty disease. It basically just rotted your flesh. You would stink. You would smell. If you weren't banished to some foreign place, you'd have to walk through the streets covered, yelling, unclean, 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 because that was the signal for everybody else to cross the street and to stay away from you. And there's things that Jesus does in the way that he heals these people that y'all need to pay attention to. Because Jesus always knew that there was more than just a physical problem. There was an emotional and a spiritual one, and Jesus never neglected any of those three. Which is why we can't never be satisfied with just giving people a sandwich when what they need most is a savior. And I love how he heals the, the, leper, the leper. Look at it. The first part of verse 3 in Matthew chapter 8 says, Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him. 
Before he healed him, he touched him. Before he fixed his disease, he cured his loneliness. You know how many times, how many, depending on how long this man had been with this disease, nobody had even come within feet. They were social distancing, but this man, way before it was part of our world, touched him. For the first time in who knows how long, he felt the, the touch of another human being because Jesus know, knew that the emotional brokenness as he had lived as this outcast was far worse than even maybe the physical pain of his disease. It reminds you the things you see in people's lives that are hurting are not nearly as bad as the things you don't. He engages them. If you keep reading, you'll find this Roman centurion, military man, probably hardened by war, but broken over the condition of his servant. And he comes to Jesus pleading for help. And Jesus says, should, should, I, should I go heal him? And he says, nope, you don't even need to go. I know there's something so special about you, Jesus, that I believe that you could just from here like speak it and he will be healed. I, have, I believe that your words are so powerful that if you say he's healed, I'm gonna go home and he's gonna be doing jumping jacks. I, I'm so convinced about this that I don't even need you to show up at my house. I just need you to speak a word. And if you look at verse 10 of Matthew chapter eight, it says, hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. This was a Roman centurion. This wasn't a Jewish guy. This wasn't a rabbi. This wasn't a religious man. This was a military guy. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus listens to him. And as you walk through these chapters, you continue to see Jesus engage with people from all walks of life. Jesus was always on purpose, but he never seemed to be in a hurry. He paid attention. He was ready. There's even this one time when they bring this paralytic. Some guys bring a paralytic to him. And they think that what he most needs is for his legs to work. And it says, look at chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, so we got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Just then, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And they probably thought, yo, we're here for his legs. But Jesus knew that the condition of his soul was far more important than the function of his legs. That it was about his spirit. It was about his soul. That he needed something internal. Jesus had a way of just engaging people. There comes this other time, and man, if you got, a, if you got kids, if you're a parent, this can, you can relate to. This father comes and says, my daughter's on her deathbed. We can all, if we're a parent, we can imagine the pain and the struggle and the, the fear in that. He says, I need you to come to my house. And while on the way there, there's this other person in need of something. And I can just imagine this because this man whose daughter was, was sick, was about to die, he was an important guy. He was known. He was popular. 
And I can only imagine the way the Bible describes it. There's this crowd of people that have centered around Jesus, and they're making their way to this, this guy's house so that he can heal his daughter. And then all of a sudden, Jesus knows something has happened. Power has left him. Someone has touched him. Because little did anybody know there was a woman in the crowd who for 12 years had been suffering. And she had heard about Jesus and she had determined there was such power in Jesus' life. She didn't need to talk to him. She didn't need to have breakfast with him. She didn't need to show up at his house and drink some cheer wine. I have no idea why I said cheer wine. We're in North Carolina. She thinks if, if I can just touch his clothes. And you ever read the Bible and just kind of play it out in your mind? This frail, broken woman, how much energy it would have taken her to push through that crowd and find a seam and swipe at Jesus' clothes, believing that that would be all it would take. And she was healed, and Jesus knew it. And Jesus could have just kept thinking, that was awesome, I'm just gonna keep on going. But once again, Jesus knew there was so much more. If you read all the Gospels, they record it in these different details. He's like, somebody touched me, and they're like, Jesus, like, dude, there's a bunch of people touching you right now. And he's like, nah, this is different. And the way Matthew records it, look at it, it says, verse 22 of chapter 9, Jesus turned and saw her, have courage, daughter. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment. That he acknowledged her, that he spoke to her when he didn't have to because he knew that not only did she need the healing from this physical ailment, she needed so much more. And he doesn't say, have courage, woman. Thanks for touching me, lady. He says, daughter. That's, that's the context in which Jesus looks at his disciples in Matthew chapter 9, verse 20, or, uh, chapter 9, verse 37. It says, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. That the work is plenty. It's the lack of workers that's the issue. And church, I'm here today to remind you that the workers that he was speaking of is us. That we are the workers that he has called to walk into the harvest, no matter how risky, no matter how messy, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how difficult, because the harvest is as plentiful now as it was then. And unfortunately, there are still way too few Christians willing to work it. And I'm grateful for the many people in this church that over the 14 years in our existence have understood that church is so much more than what happens in here. It's much more about what happens out there. I love that we gather, but we can't forget we're called to go. He didn't say gather and make disciples. He said go and make disciples. And if we're going to be a part of the movement, then Jesus started, then look at me. We got to get moving. I said to you not long ago, and if you watch the video that we 
produced on, on that July 4th weekend that I still deeply believe in my heart that the vehicle that God has ordained to take the message of hope, the message of Jesus into the world is the church. Amen? Well, it's time for that vehicle to get out of park. That we have to go. We have to step into the world in which we live and carry the gospel. We have to be that. We cannot win a world we will not engage. We have to go. We have to get out. We have to move. We have to mobilize. And that work is great, and it's big, and it's deep, and it's wide, that the church has a responsibility to mobilize and go global and local. And I'm grateful for the way that our church has answered that call in the last several years. I love, I'm so grateful for Jesse Green and the team that we call Serve the City that forces us out of these seats and into homes in our community, that we love on our community as good as any church I've ever been a part of, that we step into people's homes. Yeah, you can celebrate that. We serve, we meet needs, we go into people's homes, and as we move towards the fall, we have more initiatives between now and the end of the year than we've ever had in the history of our church. I know the last two years, it's felt like our ability to go has been limited, but I'm ready to pull that lid off because we gotta live with some urgency, church. I'm grateful for Serve the City. I'm grateful that we, we realize that, yeah, that our first priority is the community that we're in and that we go and we serve and we do those things. I'm also grateful that we've realized that, you know what, we have a responsibility to make sure that the gospel is going all across our world, all across our state. I'm grateful for the way that you've realized that the best way that we can reach people in other cities in our state or in our area is through making sure that they have healthy churches that agree and share that same mission. Next week, while I'm in, I'm in check, Pastor Matt Rhodes, one of the pastors from Parkside Church in Greenville, who we've helped come alongside of, and y'all, they've planted this church in Greenville, and people are getting saved and finding hope, and that's because we were willing to champion them and support them, and because of your efforts, there are people finding Jesus in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm also grateful for that when there's another church feeling led to be called, even in our immediate area, even in Archdale, that we'll champion Brad Thomas, put him on this platform to share his heart, come alongside him. And y'all don't know this, but there's been a handful of families that have been a part of our church that feel like they can't even say, Matt, we feel like God's calling us to go be a part of that. And you know what I said? That's awesome. Go be a part. Go win people. We haven't won yet. And I'm also grateful that we have a group of nine people that have said, yes, I'm willing to leave my family for 14 days and go halfway around the world so that I can step into a country that does not believe in order to help build relationships and put them in a position where they find Jesus. So they might speak a different language than us now, but we'll all be singing the same holy when we get to heaven. But I need you to know that it's not about just certain serving him and going when we're on serve the city. It's not about just going if you're called to be a pastor or be a part of a church plant. It's not about serving Jesus when we're on a mission strip that we all need to understand and recognize our call to live on mission in every moment. Because you, look at me, every single day you step into a harvest field that I want you to be in a position you can no longer ignore. You may never go on a missions trip to Czech Republic. You may never be like Jesse and Adam Green and Wendy Boozer who are part of our church that are right now ministering in Jackson, Mississippi. You may never start a church, but you live in a home with somebody who needs Jesus. 
You've got a family member who needs Jesus. Students, every student in this room, listen to me. Every day this fall, you step in Monday through Friday, the greatest mission field in our community, the public school, and you need to be missionaries in it. You need to go. If you know Jesus, you have the responsibility to help other people know him too. And every day, you may not go on some foreign mission field, but you're standing in a mission field right now, right where you are, and you've got to answer the call. I've got to answer the call. And the thing is, I'm not saying anything we don't know. The question is why? Why do we more often than not shrink back why do we more often than not settle and believe we've, all we have to do is sit when we know Jesus has said that we are sent? I think I know. If we aren't going, if we aren't saying yes to this, it's because of one or the combination of two reasons. Either we lack compassion or we lack confidence. That the reason why we don't go, the reason why we don't step into the mission field, the reason why we don't engage with people is, is sometimes that we just have to ask the question, do I care? Do I really care? Do I care that people are in need? Do I care that people are lost? Do I care? Do I, do I, do I have this compassion? What compelled Jesus to engage the, look at me. Jesus did not pity them. He had compassion for them. Such compassion that he couldn't ignore it. He couldn't overlook it. And when that kind of compassion brews in your soul, com, nothing will push you out of your comfort zone like compassion for other people. When you have compassion, you will sacrifice comfort in order to meet people's needs. Do I care? And not just do I care, yeah, it's easy to care about your daughter when she doesn't know Jesus. It's easy to care about your coworker when he doesn't know Jesus. But I'm probably, do you care about the people that are maybe a little hard to care about? Because compassion will force you to look at people not through the lens of their label, but through the lens of God's love. That means even if you share a different political ideology, I'll still care. Even if your sin is so egregious, it makes me sick, I'll still care. That I'll, I'll do more than just see people through the lens of their label. I'll see a soul in need of a Savior that inside is just like mine, and Jesus died for it too. And you need to be careful if your compassion is selective. Because can I remind you what Jesus said? Matthew chapter 25, verse 35. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then Jesus will answer them. Perhaps the most convicting verse in all of Scripture. 
Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. If we're going to go, at first, we're going to have to care. Do I care? Because look at me. We will never engage a world we don't love. Do I care? Do I have compassion that's deeper than concern, that pushes me outside of my comfort, that allows me to step into the risky and the messy and actually demonstrate some love to people without worried about what other people will think or how it's going to affect some of the things that maybe we want to protect. And some of you say, Matt, no, I, I care. I do care about people because sometimes I don't think it's a matter of compassion. I think it's a matter of confidence because you can say, yes, Matt, I care, but this is what you think. Am I capable? And what holds us back so often is not a lack of compassion. It's a lack of confidence. We don't think we're capable. You say, Matt, I want to go help, but I don't have enough money to solve all their problems. And so instead of doing something, we just do nothing. Or we think, Matt, I'm not capable of answering every question. Welcome to the club. We all feel that way. That's the number one thing is, Matt, I can't witness to somebody. I can't share my faith. They're going to ask me something I don't know. That happens to me every day. And I've been studying the Bible my whole life. Matt, I'm not capable, I'm not gifted, I can't preach or I can't do this. God has put something in you for his glory that he wants to use to bring people to him and it's time you stopped ignoring that reality. There's something in you for his glory. Everything he's given you is for, to be a platform to make him known. You say, Matt, but in my job, if I talk about Jesus, I'll get fired. Well, then live like him and bring people to be curious. You're cap if you wait till you feel capable, you'll never go. I don't ever feel capable. You think I've ever felt capable on this platform? There ain't been a single Sunday yet. I don't feel capable. You think I feel capable to go halfway around the world, leave my wife and my daughter and take my son into some unknown things? You think I'm comfortable about that? You think I, I don't have fears? Absolutely I do. But at some point, i got to say, that person's soul has to rise above my own fears and insecurities. If you doubt you're capable, welcome to the club. But God's never looked for capable people. He's looked for willing people. He doesn't look for capable. He looks for willing. He looks for people that know they're flawed, know they aren't perfect. And did you know that the people that started this thing, those first disciples that moved this movement all throughout the book of Acts, they didn't go to seminary. And I'm not downplaying seminary. I'm not downplaying tra training. But when God calls you to serve him, it will be well before anybody thinks you're capable, including yourself. And I'm not saying we don't train and we don't study and we don't prepare and all that kind of stuff, but we got to stop saying, I just, I'm, I'm not capable if you're called, you're capable. Because he equips those he calls for what they need. I want you to notice. Look at the last verse of chapter 9 
in the first few verses of chapter 10. So Matthew chapter 9, the way it's recorded in our Bibles, it finishes with verse 38. Therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers into the harvest. Then verse 1 of chapter 10 says, summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out, to heal every disease and sickness. And then he gives the names of these disciples and he essentially says, I'm sending you. And they were like, us? Peter's like, dude, I'm a fisherman. And Jesus says, and remember when I told you you'd fish for people? Now's the time. See, we think that, math, that it was Matthew 28, right before Jesus ascended, that they were first invited to participate. It was long before. This is never meant to be a spectator thing. It is a participator thing, and it's time we all got involved. He, did, he, he said, okay, you've been walking and watching. Now it's time to go and start working because there's so much to be done. And so... The first question you have to answer is, do I care? Do you, does it break your heart when you see a need? Does it break your spirit to know that people don't know the hope that you know? Does it, is there a burden on your heart for the reality that we do live in a world that so desperately needs Jesus? Does that burden push you to the point where compassion grows and you see people as Jesus sees them through the lens of his love, knowing that they are a sinner in need of a savior, just like you are or you once were, and you know you need to use the voice that God has given you to draw them in? And you have to not wait till you feel completely confident to say yes. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought you up from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, then verse 21, equip you with every good to do his will. Read that again. May he equip you with everything good to do his will working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, we got to go. We got to go. As we've moved towards this trip, I've had a lot of people ask me, aren't you afraid? So much happening in the world. Aren't you scared? Like you're taking your 14-year-old, aren't you scared? The answer is, yeah. But this is what I know. The further we get to Jesus returning, the crazier it's going to get. So at some point, we're just going to have to say, I got to follow Jesus in faith and not be controlled by my fears. I'm not saying we don't use wisdom and we don't use discernment and all that kind of stuff. But everybody's always saying, are we in the last days? I don't know. But if we are, then we need to live with a more sense of urgency than ever. If this is the last days, the best thing we can do is not talk about it, but go talk to them about him and make sure that when he does come, more, the most people possible are ready. That's a better use of time than hiding in our church saying, Jesus, come back. If, the, if these are the, and it, can I just tell you, every generation has believed they were in the last days. The writers of scripture believed they were in the last days. The writers of Scripture believed that Jesus would return before the end of their lifespan and look the, at how they lived in light of that reality. They also lived under the thumb of persecution that we've never known. So 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. It says, the end of all things is near. 
So what are you going to do? The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert, sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain consistent love for one another. Sincere love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let, him, let it be from the strength that God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So I question sometimes, do I care? Do I care enough to go? Am I capable? But in the end, I have to be reminded, I am called. You are called. That God is asking you to say yes. Yeah, at times that yes might look like calling you to go on a trip halfway around the world to represent him. That call might be for some people in the room to answer a call to some type of ministry that takes you into places that will make you really uncomfortable. But every day, God gives you a chance to say, yes, I will work in the harvest field of my office or my classroom or my neighborhood or my home or my grocery store. You will not go on a missions trip like we are this week, but every day you will step into a mission field. And God's calling you to work it, to be an agent of his grace. And I'm grateful for those that are answering that call this week. And he says, pray that God will send them. And I think that also we could say that we need to pray as they're being sent. That we need to pray for the ones that are in the mission field right now. I invite you to pray for for these church planners that we've talked about. I invite you to pray for, for Jesse and Adam Greed and Wendy Boozer and the others that are in Jackson, Mississippi right now. And last week we invited you to grab one of these so that you could pray for our team. These nine amazing people that have said yes, that are going to be heading out on Wednesday for a long day of travel to go build relationships and engage some, some people who are struggling to find the reality of God in their lives. And today, we want to give us a chance just to pray and commission that team. So would you stand with me? And as you're standing, I'm going to invite those people who are in the room representing our team. Would you just go ahead and make your way up here onto the platform? Just come on up. If you're a part of this team and you're in the room today, we didn't ask um, this team, the entire team, to be across all three of our gatherings, but to make sure we had representatives, just come right on up and stand kind of right behind me. And I'm going to invite Jennifer York. You come on up over here by Marshall. This is Jennifer York, guys. She's, uh, she's a pastor, and she's part of different things, and God's calling her to church planning at some point to be involved in that kind of thing. But she's here with us, her and her husband, Corey right now and uh, she's going to pray for our team but I'm going to ask her to pray for this group of people and if you didn't get one of these last week as you went out I hope you'll get one as you go out today as a matter of fact we're going to pray in just a minute but on Wednesday our team is going to meet here at noon to leave from the church and if you have a lunch break and want to come and pray for us once again or just pause where you are that God would use this group of people and can I also remind you to pray for the loved ones that are still going to be here freaking out for 14 days But would you bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want to extend a hand out this direction, we're going to, I'm going to ask Jennifer to pray for this group of people that God would be with us and would use us in a mighty way and protect us and our families as we seek to serve him and go into a harvest field ready to do something amazing for his glory. Jennifer, pray for us. Father God, 
we come before your throne this morning asking for your favor, for your protection, God, for your peace as this group travels to a new country. Lord, I pray that as they prepare their hearts in the next few days, Lord, that their families will be at peace. God, that you will give them a strengthening, an awareness, a wisdom. God, that you would cover them in your blood through your Holy Spirit. God, as the body of believers this morning, we were reaching out towards you and towards them, believing that you will fill the gap there. Lord, we pray for those that they are going to minister to. Lord, for those that they'll encounter in the airports, for their drivers. Lord, for those that are translating. God, whatever capacity they find themselves in, Lord, I pray that they would just ooze your Holy Spirit. God, that it would shine bright, that it would be just undeniable for the people around them, God, that something would be different and that a curiosity would grow. God, for those that they are ministering to, that they are working with, God, I just pray that they are humble, that our team would come before you each day seeking out wisdom to start conversations, to build relationships. God, that when that curiosity and the campers grow, Lord, that you would give them your words through your Holy Spirit. God, we pray right now, we are believing as the church that there will be a great harvest out of this. God, that you will bring many people to their knees and to faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that they will leave from this week knowing that there are souls that will be with us in heaven. God, we give you the glory. We give you the power. We give you all of this. Lord, for your glory. God, not for ours. Lord, we are believing today that you are working in a mighty way. Father, we ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus and in the Holy Spirit, amen. Give God some glory. Thank you so much for that prayer, Jennifer. If you feel like God is stirring something in you and you wanna come alongside some of the things that we do as a church, be a part of the Serve the City initiatives, be a part of those teams, be a part of, of hearing about maybe more global initiatives that we have coming in the months ahead. Jump on the Venice Church app, hit that respond tab, let us come alongside you and tell you about the things that are coming in the months ahead. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. Thank you for praying for us. We love you guys. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you next time. Give God some glory as you head out. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.